you, worship team, for uh, leading us in worship this morning. I also want to say welcome to everybody who's joining us online as well. We are grateful to have you with us today. Make sure you say good morning to your church family, and you can either check in with us on our LSC app or in your check-in card that is in your bulletin. Um, all of our fourth and fifth graders, you guys can head on out of here for kickstart. You guys can head on out. It's going to be a fun time that you guys are going to have as well. So I have a, a few things I want to share with you guys before we get into our message this morning. The first one is I just want to welcome anybody who's here with us for the first time today. Um, we are so grateful to have you worshiping with us uh, this morning. And if, uh, if you are new here to Living Stones, I would love to ask you to do me a favor. And if you would text the word hello to the number 633-1574. And we, what we want to do is we just want to be able to give you some more information about who we are as a church, how you can get uh, better connected with us, and what your next step here is. And, and if, you, uh, if you do contact us, we will uh, make a donation of $3 to a local charity of your choice, uh, as well just for uh, connecting with us. And again, we just want to be able to share with you a little bit more about who we are and uh, where you can get plugged in here at church. We look forward to hearing from you. So um, it is hard to believe that next Sunday is Easter Sunday already. Um, it is, uh, I'm excited about this. Easter is my favorite uh, holiday. Um, it almost has to be if you're a pastor, but uh, it's going to be, uh, we're going to have a great day just celebrating the greatest day in history um, that took place next Sunday. And uh, with this week, we have a number of things coming up this week. The first one is that we are having a Good Friday service this coming Friday at 12 o'clock noon right here in our worship center. And so if you can come and be a part of that, we would love to have you come and worship with us. Um, it's going to be a, uh, a somber, a reflective service as we just kind of remember what took place um, at the crucifixion 2,000 years ago. And so if, if you can't join us in person, though, you are more than welcome to join us online. We will be streaming the service, our Good Friday service, um, at 12 o'clock as well. And then on Saturday, the next day, we are having our Easter egg venture um, over at the track at Riley High School. This is kind of our version of a, of, of a COVID-safe COVID-friendly uh, Easter egg hunt. So instead of doing the normal egg hunt where you're just cramming as many people as you can into a very small space and having them run and run people over to get eggs, um, we're, we're going to do it a little bit different. We're actually going to have an Easter story. It's going to be like a story walk in a way where you, the families are making their way around the, the track at Riley. They're going to hear a different part of the story as they go, and kids are going to get eggs along the way. They're going to be able to get their picture taken with the Easter Bunny as well. And so we're, we're excited about this. We're inviting our community to be a part of it. And, uh, and so if, if you are able, we would love to have you help be a part of our Easter egg venture as well. We're looking for some volunteers to help with setup, with teardown and cleanup. Um, we, we have, we're looking for some people to help read different parts of the story as they go around the track, um, as well as also just being a guide of helping the families make their way around. So if you um, are free, available, if you're interested in helping, we would love to have you reach out to us. You can either mark it on your checking card, or you can go to livingstones.events slash signups. livingstones.events slash signups. And you can um, put on your information, let us know what you're interested in helping out with, and we will um, get back with you this week. Um, but it's going to be a fun day. And then that following day, then on Sunday, week one week from today, is, of course, Easter Sunday. We're going to have three services that Sunday, one at 8 o'clock, 
one at 9.30 and then another one at 11.15. Well, LFC Kids will be offered during each one of the services, and uh, it's going to be a special morning. So make sure that you invite your, your family, invite your friends, save a spot for them, um, and just come and worship our risen Savior together. It's going to be uh, just a, a fantastic morning. Look forward to being able to celebrate Easter with you guys. Last year, we had to celebrate Easter with a video camera, so um, it's going to be it's going to be good to actually have our church family here and be able to celebrate Resurrection Day together. And then I and then I have one uh, one final announcement to share with you, and it's a, a little bit of sad news that we have this morning. Um, many of you guys probably know that Chuck's mom, Mima. Um, has been in some failing health as of late, and she passed away yesterday morning. Um, Mima was, uh, she was a beautiful woman, and uh, just a, a, true, a true treasure. Um, those of you guys that knew her just knew how special she, uh, she really was. And, uh, and I love this picture. Like, how, how many of you guys love a, a grandma or great-grandma that can take a selfie? You, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, that, that's a rare thing. That's, that's, that's an awesome thing right here. And so... Um, she, she lived a great life. She finished her, her race well, and uh, we're definitely going to miss her. You know, and, and as, as sad as we are and as much as we are going to miss her, we can also rejoice and knowing that she's celebrating with Jesus right now, the, the one that she uh, has known for a very long time. She was looking forward to this day, and so we, we rejoice with her as she is uh, celebrating with, with Jesus right now. But I, I just ask you, make sure that you reach out to the entire Barrington crew, let them know that you're thinking of them, let them know that you're praying for them, that you're here for them, and uh, I just want to tell you guys, thank you for sharing Meemaw with us. Um, she, was, uh, she truly was a treasure, a great woman. She's going to be missed, so thank you guys for sharing her with us. So, um, With that, we are going to take up our morning tithes and offerings uh, today as well. If you are here in the room for us, inside your uh, bulletin, there was Give an envelope in there. You can put your, your gifts in there. We have the boxes at the back of the worship center. You can give uh, online. Uh, you can set up recurring giving that way through our LSE app. We have a text-to-give option. But we just want to tell you, your generosity allows us to do ministry here on the south side of South Bend. And without that, we wouldn't be able to do what we, what we do. We wouldn't be able to go do our Easter egg venture and that kind of thing without your participation. And so I just want to thank all of you for your continued generosity. You continue to... Uh, support us here at, uh, at Livingstone's Church. And I just pray that uh, as God uh, blesses you and you give faithfully, Lord, that he's, he's just going to do some amazing things um, in and through our church. And so I just thank you for continuing to be faithful in your giving. So with that, let's pray, and then we will get into our message this morning. So Father, we, we just thank you, God, for being a great provider. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for the way that you love us, that you take care of us, Lord. And, and God, I pray that as, as your people give cheerfully, as they give faithfully, as we give willingly, Lord, that you're going to use this offering to, to make a difference. That people's lives are going to be changed and impacted and affected through the generosity of Livingstone's Church. I thank you for that, Lord. God, we pray for uh, the Barrington family right now, that you just comfort them uh, in their grief, that... As, uh, as, as we just loved Mima, Lord, I just pray that you just be with them as, as they uh, work through this, Lord, that you're going to just bring back great memories that they have. Um, and Lord, we also just ask you to be present with us here in this service today as well, that you would just guide everything that takes place. Lord, we just dedicate this time to you. We thank you, Lord, and we love you for it. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. amen. So to begin this morning, I'm going to ask everybody a question, and I want you to be really honest, and I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm going to ask you to share with me if you've ever done this, but I want to ask, 
How many of you have ever gone online and Googled your name? That you've ever looked up yourself online? All right, that's most of us in this room. All right, we're a pretty vain group, uh, I I guess, because we we, want to know what the world is saying about about us. And uh, no, I'm, I'm kidding. Like we've all, we've all been there. We've all done that. Or most of us have. Um, because like we, we like to kind of know, you know, like, all right, what's out there about us? What, what are people saying about each of us? I, I actually did this exercise this week. I went and Googled my name. And you're going to be shocked to find out that Patrick Malloy is not very famous. Like, I, I'm really not. Like, although I did find that the, apparently there's a guy who's doing very well for himself as a home builder in the Atlanta, Georgia area, named Patrick Malloy. So, you know, I'm, I'm rooting for him and cheering for him. But you also might not know this, that Meredith Waltman is the executive director at People Magazine. I, I Googled her this week, and I, I was unaware of that. But she apparently is the executive director at People. So, like, how cool is that? So, a bunch of things I didn't know. But, you know, like, as, as a general rule, we like to kind of know what, what do other people think. What are other people thinking about us? What are they saying about us? And, and if you think about it, even with social media, if we, if we put something on social media, we post something, our handy-dandy phones, they'll give us a ding or a notification letting us know when somebody has liked it, when somebody's commented on it, when somebody's tagged us in a post. And, and so, like, we, we like to see when people take notice of us, when people have said something about us. Like, we like to know what others think. And, and sometimes that can be a good thing. It can be good to know kind of what your reputation might be, but there's, a, there's also a negative side to that, that, that we can become so concerned about what others think of us that it actually becomes very unhealthy as well. And so this morning, we're continuing our series that we're calling Jesus-Centered Life. Jesus-Centered Life. And Jesus actually asks a question very similar to what we would call like Googling ourselves as way. And, and in, in this series... We're talking about how Jesus, like, he elicited a lot of very different responses from people. Like, there were some people that just despised him, wanted nothing to do with him, they hated him. The, the religious leaders of the day, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, they were not fans at all. But, but the, for the most part, the masses, the Joe six-packs of the world, like, they, they loved him. They loved Jesus. They loved to be around him. They wanted to be near him. They wanted to hear him teach just to be in his presence. There was something that was so incredibly attractive, something so, um, that, that drew people to him. And, and really, my, my thesis for this, this series has been that, that if we would begin putting Jesus at the center and the focal point of our life, if we would live a Jesus-centered life, we would become every bit as attractive and, and, and drawing people towards us as Jesus was as well. Because unfortunately, like I've, I've mentioned to you before, there's way too many people that end up pushing others away from Jesus by the way they live, the way they talk, the way they act. And I mentioned this in the very first week of the series, that most people, they don't have an issue with Jesus. Jesus is just fine. It's his followers that they can't stand. And so for us, we've been talking about what does that look like for us to live a Jesus-centered life. Now, for this series, we've really been using the Gospel of Matthew as our main text that we've been talking through different passages in Matthew. And if you read through Matthew's gospel, you're going to notice a pattern that emerges in Jesus' life. That he goes through periods of time where he is teaching, where he's ministering, where he's healing, where, where he's around the crowds, where he's around the masses. And then he goes to 
places of retreat. He goes to places where he takes a step back away from the crowd, away from the masses, to either be by himself or just be with him and, and just his closest, his closest disciples. And during one of these times of retreat, he actually goes with his disciples to a place called Caesarea Philippi. And now Caesarea Philippi, it was, it was a Gentile area. It was, it was outside the, the normal Jewish places that they lived. It was about 120 miles from Jerusalem. And this was a, play, a region that was strongly identified with various religions. Like worship of Baal was very prevalent in, in the Caesarea Philippi area. The, the Greek god Pan had several altars that were built in his honor there. And in fact, Herod the Great also built an altar to, to honor Caesar Augustus. And so like this, this was a very pagan place that, that Jesus was with his followers, that he was talking with them. And he has a, an incredibly consequential conversation with his disciples while they're here. And it, and it talks about this in Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13. And, and, and Matthew writes, he says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? This is kind of like Jesus going online and Googling himself. I was saying, all right, what are other people saying about me? When other people hear about who I am, what do they say? Who do people say that I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And, and Jesus, he's using this initial question really to kind of set up his follow-up question that he's going to ask in a moment. But essentially what he's saying is he's saying, kind of, what's the word on the street right now? When people are talking about me, what are they saying? What, what, is, what, is, what is, who do people say that I am? And, and honestly, if, if you read their answer, I'm a little bit shocked and amazed at what the normal everyday people thought about Jesus. I mean, when you hear their answers... Oh, you know, some people say he's John the Baptist. That he's Elijah, that he's Jeremiah, one of the other prophets. Like, these people, they had seen Jesus teach. They'd heard him. They'd seen him do miracles. Many, if not most of them, were probably very well acquainted with what the Hebrew Scriptures taught about the Messiah. And so Jesus, he was right there in their midst, and they were just really confused. Many of them just failed to recognize who he actually was. And, I, and I'm really kind of blown away by that. I'm thinking, well, like, one and one is two. Like, I mean, put it, put it together here. But it, it kind of begs the question for us, all right, if we put ourselves in, in the sandals of the Jews of Jesus' time, what would our response to Jesus have been? Would we, would we have recognized him as, as Messiah? Would we have embraced him for, for, who, for who he was? Or would we have kind of looked the other way? Would we have thought, oh, you know what, he's just some kind of kook who's, you know, teaching some really crazy things. Yeah, he's doing some, some neat stuff, but at the end of the day, I'm not so sure with that. Like, what would our response to, to Jesus have been in that moment? I was, I was having a discussion with my Tuesday morning uh, circle community group, and we were talking about this very fact that, that oftentimes the way that we think about ourselves and the way reality actually is don't always line up. Like, oftentimes we like to think of ourselves a little bit better than, than we actually are. Like, I, I would love to say, oh, of course, if I was walking in Jesus' time, of course I would embrace him, I would have followed him, I would have thought he was Messiah. But the reality is, I, I don't know. Like, may, maybe 
I might have missed it like so many of the other people did at the time. And, and, and we were talking about this in, in my circle community group. And, and so let me give you an example of kind of what I'm saying about where our, what we think about ourselves and what our reality actually end up being two separate different things. And, and, and I shared with my group about Stanley Milgram's very famous obedience experiment. Now, if, if, if you're familiar, in, in the wake of the atrocities of the Holocaust during World War II, psychologists were really trying to understand how ordinary people could do some of just the, the heinous things that took place during World War II. Like, what happened? And, and so Stanley Milgram, he created an experiment to try and test this. Now, what he did is he recruited some people for what he told them was going to be a memory experiment. He invited some people to come participate in this experiment, and he told them, you're going to help you're going to help me understand about memory. Well, it actually has nothing to do with memory at all. And so this is the diagram I put up here is actually kind of the setup that Stanley Milgram had for his experiment. And so the people that he invited to be a part of it were what he called the subjects. And the subjects were told that they were going to help the learner, the help the, the fake test subject on the other side with this memory issue that they, they were going to try to memorize some things, and, and the, the subject was going to help facilitate this. Now, the, the fake test subject was in on this. They, he, he knew this was a fake setup and all this. And then there was also the experimenter. He was the one that was kind of running the whole thing. And what, what happened is, or, or the way the experiment was set up was, if, if the, the test subject, the fake test subject, if they answered incorrectly an electrical shock, was going to be administered to them by the subject. And so what the, exper what the experimenter told the subject was, all right, what you're going to do is you're going to administer an electrical shock to the learner every time he gets an incorrect answer. And, and the way the experiment went is the voltage went up with each wrong answer that, that was given. And so it started out at 30 volts. It actually went all the way up to 450 volts. Now, the, the learner, the, the fake test subject, was on the other side of a wall. So, so the, the subject, he couldn't actually see what was taking place. And so there was, there was a bunch of like amateur theater that was going on. There was no actual shocks being administered. But when, when, the, when the, the subject would push the button and, and administer the shock, you would he, he, through the speaker, you would hear, ah! You know, people would exclaim in pain. Or, and, and at some points, they would actually beg for the experiment to stop say, no, 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 I can't do this anymore. And, and the, the experimenter would say, no, you must continue. The experiment must go on. And, and, and so the, the results of this study were absolutely like eye-opening, to, to be honest, because 65% of the subjects administered the full 450 volts. Think about that for a moment. Two-thirds of those that participated in the study even, even after they were begging to, to, to have this experiment stopped, still went ahead and administered the full 450 volts. 100% of the subjects administered up to 300 volts. I think about that for, for a moment. I mean, it really is, forgive my pun, it was a, it's a shocking finding right, right there. And, when, and when, what was really unique, though, is when, when the subjects were interviewed about it after the fact, not one of them thought they were capable of doing such a thing. Not one of them thought, oh yeah, I have the ability to continue to shock somebody even after they're begging me to stop. 
There was this cognitive dissonance between who I thought I was and then what my reality actually was. And I thought, I was thinking about this just with, with my own self, that if I was alive in Jesus' day, I would like to think that I would have embraced him. I would like to think that, oh yeah, I, I would have followed him, I would have, I would have listened, I would have done anything he said. We would all like to think that about ourselves, but the reality is, I don't know, maybe I wouldn't. Maybe I would have, maybe I would have missed out. Maybe I would have uh, confused him for somebody else, you know, when, when the masses thought, oh, this is John the Baptist or Elijah or Jeremiah. Like, I, w- I would love to think that, that, I would, that I would follow after him, that I would embrace him for who he said he was. And what's so fascinating about what Jesus is talking about here, and really this is an aspect of every one of our lives that we all understand and know, that we perceive the world through various lenses or various filters as, as we interpret things. The way that we view things, the way we see things, we never see them exactly how they are. We see them through the lens of our life experiences, through our past, through our upbringings, through the things that we've learned and known. And so, like, for, for some, for, for all of us, like, the way that we grew up, the way that we experienced life growing up has impacted how we interpret life today. So just to give you an example, if, if you grew up in a household where there was a very abusive father figure, it could, it could impact how you view males who are in a, in a position of authority now today because of what your experience was growing up. Versus, and it would, that would be a very different experience than somebody that did not have that same upbringing that you did. Now, neither one of those are wrong. Neither one of those interpretations are wrong, but you're both looking at the same thing through a different lens. It could be through, like, our political leanings. It could be through our upbringing, our education, whatever it might be. Like, there's any number of factors that, that affect the lens and the filter by which we view life. So, I mean, take, take the mass shooting that took place this week in, in Boulder, Colorado. Like, there, there, were, there were, you know, people, when they heard about this, there were some people that heard about it, and they were calling for, for stricter gun control measures banning assault rifles, that kind of thing. There are others who they saw what, what took place. They said, well, the only answer for a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. There's other people that saw the tragedy, and they say, all right, we need to focus on mental health. And, and all three groups are seeing the same thing. They're hearing the same news story. They're seeing the same pictures, but viewing it and filtering it through different lenses as well. Like, I, and I could, I could give you countless examples. Like, a classic one would be like the O.J. Simpson trial and the verdict. Like often the way you felt about the non-guilty verdict depended on the lens by which you were viewing the world. And so the first question that Jesus really asked was, he was saying, all right, the lens by which people are viewing me, like how are people viewing me? How are they seeing me in this moment? Who do people say the Son of Man is? But then Jesus comes and he asks the follow-up question. And in verse 15, he says, all right, that's what other people are saying. But he says, but what about you? What about you? Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Not, not, and while the, while the masses may have had confusion regarding who Jesus really was, Peter actually comes in and he hits it out of the park in verse 16. So Simon Peter answered, well, you are the Messiah, the Son of of the living God. And, and, I, and I love this. I love that it's Peter who steps up to the plate 
and just nails this one. Because, because if, you, if you read through the Gospels, like you know Peter is the one who time and again ends up putting his foot in his mouth. He ends up doing things and saying things where you're just thinking, like, Peter, what were you thinking here? Like, you, you missed it. But here, like, Peter, he just nails it. You know, like, Peter, if you think about Jesus' disciples, Peter, more than any of them, just said some of the, kind of the dumbest things. Where, where if you read just a few verses later in chapter 16 here, he actually starts arguing with Jesus and telling, you know, when Jesus says he's going to end up having to die, he's going to have to go to the cross. He's like, Jesus, you don't really have to die. Stop talking about that. Stop, stop talking nonsense. And Jesus ends up having to rebuke him. It, in a couple chapters later in Matthew 19, he actually has the gall to ask Jesus, all right, what do we get out of following you? Like, like what's in it for us? Like, can you, can you imagine talking to Jesus and asking him, that question. That, that's kind of like par for the course for Peter. Like he, he was, Peter was the one that in the Garden of Gethsemane, when the guards were coming to arrest Jesus, that he jumps up and he cuts off the ear of one of the guards. Like that arrest had to take place, you know, and Peter, he, he had it in his mind, he was going to play the superhero. He was going to save the day. And, and it's th- this is the same Peter that ended up denying Jesus three separate times in his, in his worst moment. He ends up not being there for, for Jesus. Like, like, how can you not love this guy? Like, Peter was one of those guys where he was just full force. Like, whatever it was, he just jumped, jumped at it, you know. And for a guy who often got it wrong, who talked when he should have been quiet and listening, you know, who fell asleep when Jesus asked him to pray, for a guy who, who acted impulsively when he should have just been thoughtful and, and measured, like, I, I love that Peter's the one that steps up to the plate and says, no, you're the Messiah. You, you are the Son of God. For, for all the times that, that, that Peter got it wrong, like, this was the time he got it right. Like, it, it reminds me, like, one of the closing lines of, of the movie Dumb and Dumber, you know, when he says, just when I th- think you couldn't possibly get any dumber, you go ahead and do something like this. And, and he's like, and totally redeem yourself. Like, like, that's what Peter does right here in this moment. Like, all, all the stupid things Peter had said, he kind of redeems himself in this moment right here. For all the times that he just kind of bumbled and botched his way through things, like, this was the moment he said, yes, Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. You are the one we have been waiting for. And, and Jesus, he hears Peter's response to the second question, and, and, he, and he responds in this way, and starting in verse 17. He says, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. Jesus comes and gives him a new name right now. He was known as Simon before. He said, Now, I'm, now you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Like there's, there's so much in the statement that Jesus makes right here that first Jesus gives Peter a new name. He, he was known as Simon. Now he's known as Peter and Peter means stone. It means rock. He says upon this rock, I will build, I will build my church upon that, that confession that, that Peter made that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the son of God. Like that's going to be the foundation by which Jesus's church is going 
to be built. It wasn't going to be built on, on a fallible man. No, it was going to be built on Jesus alone. And, and this is the first time in Scripture that we encounter the Greek word ekklesia, which is the word, the word that's translated for church. And ekklesia literally means a called-out assembly. A called-out assembly. Like, that's who we are. We are a called-out assembly. And not just like the local church that we are a part of, Livingstone's Church here. The church that Jesus is talking about, he's saying, no, 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 I'm starting a universal, a global movement, and it's starting right here. It's starting right here, right now. That, that, this, that this is going to be my church. I, I love that he uses that, that pronoun here. This is, I will build my church. This isn't Pat Malloy's church. This isn't the elders' church. Like, none of us own the church. This, this is, this is Jesus' church. It's his church. Like, he, he was going to be the one to unite both believing Jews and Gentiles together. He was, he was going to be the one that, that eliminated all the natural distinctions that we like to put in place. I said, no, no, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to, not only am I going to be the builder of the church, I'm also going to be the head of the church as well. Like, every believer, you and I, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, like, we are living stones. Peter talked about that. Peter talked about that. Like, I have no, like, I wonder if when he was writing that, he was thinking about this moment, that we are the living stones being built into that spiritual house. We are, we are part of this church that God is building. And it's not just us here. Like, again, we're, we're part of something way bigger than any of us can even possibly fathom. Way bigger. In Ephesians 4, Paul tells us that we are a part of, of one body. We're not, we're not segmented and separated churches by denominations or, or locations. No, we're a part of one body. That there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God who is through all and over all and in all. Like, that's what we are a part of. And so, by making that same confession that Peter made, we get to be a part of and we get to participate in, in an assembly and in a movement that has changed the course of history. That has changed the course of history. And he said, and nothing will prevail against it. What, what Jesus said in motion 2,000 years ago, nothing is going to come against it. Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave. And, and nothing in the world and no power in hell is going is to be able to thwart what he began 2,000 years ago. That's what we get to celebrate on, on Easter Sunday that as much as the world, as much as, as, as people have tried to stamp out the good news, the message of Jesus throughout the centuries, nothing will overcome it at all. Jesus' church, for all of its faults, for all of its issues, for all of its brokenness, Jesus' church is doing just fine. It's doing just fine. He, you know, Jesus, he doesn't need politicians to protect the church, to protect our rights, Jesus doesn't, he doesn't need culture warriors who are going to stand up and fight, you know, against those that, that we view would be enemies. No, what Jesus' church needs, he needs men and women and boys and girls who, who accept that invitation that we talked about in week one to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow him. That's what being a part of his church is all about. Jesus, his church needs faithful people like us who are going to love and who are going to live like Jesus did. Like that, that's my heart's desire for, for Livingstone's church. That's who I believe God has called us to be. 
that we're going to love and live like him. And then when we start doing that, when we do that, we're going to be unstoppable, just like Jesus' church is unstoppable. But it all starts, it all begins with Peter's confession, believing that Jesus is who he claimed to be. Because without that confession, it's all for naught. John 14, 6 says that Jesus answered, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through me. Like, it, it begins with that confession. And, and so that exchange that, that he had with his disciples, all right, who do people say that I am? But then he comes and he makes it very personal. And he looks at him and he says, but who do you say that I am? I'm glad to hear what everybody else has to say. But I want to hear from you. Who do you say that I am? I don't care what the masses think. I don't care what your pastor thinks or what your parents think, what your neighbor thinks. I want to know, what is it that you think? Who do you say that I am? And that question is one that every single one of us has to answer. Every, every person who's ever set foot on this earth, at one point or another, will have to answer this question. Who do you say the Son of Man is? Who do I say that Jesus is? Now, I'll, I'll tell you, if, if you ever feel stuck in prayer, like you're praying and you're just feeling like, I, I, just, I'm, I feel like I don't know what to say right now. I, I, don't, know, I don't know what to, to say in this moment. I'd encourage you, start by answering that question for yourself. Just start, start, start by saying, Jesus, you're my Savior. You're my healer, my provider, my redeemer. You're my peace, my shalom, my master. You are the Son of God the ever-present help in time of trouble. Lord, you, you are my deliverer, my shepherd. You're the alpha and the omega. You're the beginning and the end. You are, you are the mediator between God and me. You're the author and the finisher of my faith. You are the king of kings, and you're the Lord. I, I mean, we could go on and on and on. And how amazing would it be for us to verbalize that? Say, God, this is who you are. Jesus, this is who you are to me. Because how we answer that question ultimately determines our eternity. The way that we answer that question determines what our eternity will be like. Now, I, I want to close with a quote from one of the greatest Christian thinkers of all time, Clive Staples Lewis. And, and, and if most of us know C.S. Lewis by probably his most famous work that he ever wrote, which would be The Chronicles of Narnia. Most of us have probably read at least the, the line, the witch in the wardrobe at some point. But outside of, of the Chronicles of Narnia, probably his most famous work would have to be the book Mere Christianity. And, and it's, a, it's a classic of just Christian apologetics. And, and really what Mere Christianity, it's actually an adaptation from a series of BBC radio talks that C.S. Lewis gave during World War II. And he compiled those and, and put them into a, a book form. And if you've, never, if you've never read Mere Christianity before, I'd highly recommend that you do so because what it does is, is it, it explains the Christian faith to those who are skeptical. It, it, he really kind of offers a, a philosophical approach to understanding basic Christian doctrine. And it, it, he does a fantastic job of, of unpacking it. And, and, and in the book, one of the things that he counters, one of the things that he talks about it in the book is, is this narrative that is very prevalent with us today. He tries to counter, counter this narrative that's very prevalent that says, oh yeah, Jesus existed, but he wasn't really the Son of God. He was just a good moral teacher. 
I'm sure most of us, if not all of us, have, have probably heard somebody say that to us at one point or another. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know that I can go so far as say he's the son of God, but yeah, he was, he was a good moral teacher. And, you know, it, because no, no serious person seriously doubts the existence that, that Jesus actually lived. Like, nobody, I mean, everybody kind of agrees with that fact, that there was somebody who lived 2,000 years ago in Palestine named Jesus. Like, no, nobody doubts that. The question is, all right, but who was he? Who was he? And, and C.S. Lewis, he starts to unpack this a little bit in Mere Christianity. And, and it's a little bit of a longer passage, but I want you to follow along with me. He says, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. That I'm ready to, that I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. Now, this is the one thing we must not say, because a man who is merely a man that said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who claimed to say that he was a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or he was a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. For he, was not, he has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic, nor was he a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. I, I mean, I just, I, I love what he's saying there. They're saying, all right, if, if anybody made the claims that Jesus made, like, we would probably have them committed. So he's either, he's either a lunatic or he's the devil himself. He says, no, 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 neither one of those. Could. He is who he said he was. He is the Son of God. And, and, I, and I love how C.S. Lewis arrived at this. If you know much of C.S. Lewis's life, he was an atheist for a, a large chunk of his life, up until his late 20s, early 30s. And he came to faith in Christ partly through his good friend and, and devout Roman Catholic, J.R.R. Tolkien, the one who wrote The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings trilogy. Like the, C.S. Lewis and Tolkien were actually very good friends to, together. And, and as I read this quote from, from Mere Christianity, it, it really kind of brought to mind uh, something that Jesus said that I pray would be an encouragement to each of us here. That, that after Jesus rose from the grave, he went and he, he appeared and he walked around and he uh, made himself known to his disciples. And, and one of his disciples, though, had a hard time believing that it really was Jesus. We've all heard of Doubting Thomas before. And Thomas, he wasn't going to believe that Jesus had actually rose from the dead until he saw the, the, nails, the nail holes in his hands until he stuck his hand in his side where Jesus had, had been pierced by a spear. And when, when Jesus appeared to him and, and he let Thomas touch his hands and he, he let Thomas put his hand in his side, immediately Thomas believed. He said, Lord, it's you. It, it really is you. And immediately after this, Jesus says something so fascinating in John chapter 20, verse 29. He says, then Jesus told him, speaking to, to Thomas, he says, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet still believe. 
Like, what, what, a, what a beautiful statement that is. He's saying, Thomas, you know what? Like, you wouldn't believe until you actually touched me in the flesh. But then he starts talking about you and I. He said, blessed are those who haven't seen, who haven't been here, who haven't physically seen me in their presence, and yet they still believed anyways. Like, that's, he's talking about us, that we are blessed. That even though we might not have seen the, the scars, even though we might not have seen Jesus in the flesh, yet we've still trusted him, we've still believed in him. That we are blessed because of that. Even though we've not physically witnessed Jesus, we can still put our trust, our hope, and our faith in him. And we are blessed when we do. If, if you've never made that decision before, I want to give you that opportunity right now even, that we, that we would pray and give you that chance because Romans 10 says that if we declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, it says you will be saved. If we declare with our mouth, if, when, when we say who is Jesus, what is our declaration, what is it that we have to say, that we have that opportunity to be able to have that same confession that Peter did. So if that's you, I, I'm, I'm going to ask everyone to just close your eyes for me right now. And if that's you, if you've never made that declaration, if you've never said, yes, Jesus is Lord, He is the Son of God, if, that, if you've never made that declaration before, I want to give you that opportunity right now. If you just raise your hand for me right now, I'd love to pray with you in this moment. Praise God. Praise God. Awesome. I want, to, I want to pray with you right now. It's fantastic. You, you can put your hands down. And Lord, we, we just thank you, God. We thank you that you are exactly who you said you were, that you are the Son of God, that you are the Messiah. And Lord, we, we right now, we put our faith and our hope and our trust in you, that we, we have been bought with a price, that you came and you paid the price for our sins. And so, Lord, today we declare that yes, you are the Messiah. Yes, you are the Son of God. That we are sinners, that we have fallen short so many times. And yet you've made a way for us to be right with you. God, thank you for that. Thank you for the gift of your Son. Thank you for the gift that you poured out yourself. You, you, you let your body be broken and your blood be spilled so that we could be in relationship with you. And God, that you said that those who have not seen you and yet still believe that we are blessed, Lord. For those that raise their hand today, that they are blessed, that they call out to you and say, Lord, you are Savior. I put my trust and my hope in you alone. Father, thank you for allowing us to be a part of your church, your ecclesia, that this movement you began 2,000 years ago. God, that we get to be a part of it, Lord. This movement that changed the world. God, that we aren't a part of something that's just faded off into history, Lord, but it is alive and well today, that the gates of hell will not prevail against it, Lord, and we get to stand in that because of who you are, that you are the Messiah, you are the Son of God. So, Lord, we just thank you for that. Thank you, God, for this church. Thank you for your people, that, it, that as we seek to be a Christ-centered church, that we seek to live Christ-centered lives, Lord, that you're going to use us to grow and expand your ecclesia. You're going to use us to grow and expand your church. Father, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.